0: Well, if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to get those out, or maybe you use your electronic device. That's fine. You can uh, point yourself to the Wi Fi and choose one of the options there, and all of them are set to the password um, Centralia Church, all one word, all lowercase. So if you have your Bibles, we're opening to uh, John chapter 21. Now, we get to the end of John 20, and it's, it's like John is closing his gospel at the end of chapter 20. He has this verse that says there's, you know, there's certainly so much more that we could write down about Jesus, um, and then he just kind of goes through some concluding remarks, and we think, oh, okay, John's done writing his gospel, but then there's chapter 21, and uh, it's like of all of the things that John wrote down, he's making this concluding statement, and, he, you know, there's just one more story. I've got I to gotta tell you one more story. So he concludes his gospel, and then he adds chapter 21, because there's just one more really good resurrection story. And that's how I've kind of felt this week. I, I want to share one more resurrection story with you. Would that be okay? And then next week, we'll get back to our series on Acts. But this morning, I want to walk us through uh, part of Acts chapter, or excuse me, John chapter 21. We get to verse 1. It says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee... The sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Peter says, I'm going fishing. Several others agree. They hop in the boat, ride quick. Peter, if we know Peter's story... Peter oftentimes had the right motivations and the wrong applications. His, his heart was in the right place, but when it came to putting it into practice, sometimes it left a little bit to be desired. He was still in the maturing process. I think Peter's representative of, of all of us. I mean, if you look in Matthew's Gospel through the teen chapters <clears throat> in chapter i think it's chapter 14 uh there it's a time they're in the boat together jesus had sent the disciples on ahead he was up on a mountainside praying if i remember correctly and jesus, it, matthew has jesus up on the hillside it's late he's praying He's also, he can also keep track of the boat that's out on the Sea of Galilee, and he sees that a kind of a storm has come up against the boat, and they're working really hard. And he prays all night, and then he comes out to them. He's walking out on the water, and, and at first the disciples are terrified. They think they're seeing a ghost, and then they figure out it's Jesus. And, and Peter, as soon as he knows that it's the Lord, he, he says, hey, if it's really you, Jesus, call me out of the boat. And Jesus says, it's me, come on out. And so Peter hops out of the boat, and he's walking across the water. Remember this one? He wanted to go out and get to the Lord, to be in his presence. But as he was going, he took his eyes off Jesus. And it says that he saw the wind, and he saw the waves, and he realized what kind of a storm he was in, and as he was walking, he started to sink. Which makes sense, because when you get to the next one, um, Matthew chapter 16, there had been rumors flying around all over the countryside about who Jesus was. And Jesus, he's got his disciples kind of away for a little bit of a mini-retreat, if you will. And he says, hey, who do people say that I am? And so that's an easy question to answer when you're just putting using other people's words. What, what do other people say about me? Who do they say I am? Because it's not really a point-blank question for any one of us. Yeah, I can tell you who people think Jesus is. Well, some say, you know, Elijah Or one of the prophets of old You know, all sorts of answers And then, and then Jesus asks the point blank question He's kind of set him up and he says, well, who do you say I am? I imagine it getting pretty quiet there for a minute And then Peter, he's the one who breaks the silence That's typical Peter, right? He's the one who, he's willing to say What he has on his mind And he says, well, you're the Christ, the Messiah Son of the living God Now, that took a lot of guts to say, and Jesus recognized that. And so, Jesus, he gives Peter his very own beatitude. Blessed are you, Simon, for you didn't get that on your own. That was something that was given to you by the Lord. And so, in in response to that, not only did he get his own beatitude, but now Jesus is saying, on that confession, I'm going to build my church. And not only that, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus gave him the name, he called him Peter. Changed his name from Simon, I'm going to call you Cephas, Peter, which means rock. Which is, you know, something that's solid, stable, it's dependable, but it also sinks. It's also a little dense too, Right? So Peter's walking along the water, and he lived up to his name, he rock, Sink. Jesus reaches out his hand and saves him. Matthew chapter 16. Not, so Jesus has just given Peter this beatitude, just said, on that confession, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Now we're only a few steps removed from that story, and Jesus starts talking about his passion. He starts talking about, hey, we're on our way to Jerusalem, and it's not going to end well there. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die, and, um, but I'm going to be raised again. And Peter stopped listening about, you're going to die. And he's just claimed that Jesus was the Messiah. Messiahs don't die, remember. And so he says to Jesus, he rebukes Jesus— <laughs> Lord, this will never happen to you. Right motivation. Heart's in the right place, probably, but doesn't yet know how to apply that. And that's the time where Jesus looks straight at Simon, Peter, and says, get behind me, Satan. Whew. Well, you know, Peter kind of goes back and forth on this journey between right motivations, wrong applications. Matthew 17, flip over to the next chapter. Jesus takes a few of the disciples up on the mountain. We call it the story of the, the, the transfiguration where Jesus' glory is on display for these three. And Matthew tells us that that he was joined by Elijah and Moses. And Peter is so in the moment. He wants, to, he wants to hang on to that. He wants to remember that. He wants to memorialize it. He wants to do what people do. And so, you know, I, I think that he was trying to do the right thing, but what comes out of his mouth is, hey, I'm going to build three shelters for us, for you, so that we can just sit here in this moment. And that wasn't what Jesus was going after at that point. And there was another time Jesus was, um, they were talking about forgiveness. And Peter thinks he's got the right answer. He wants to be generous in his own mind. And he says, how many times should I forgive somebody? Seven now, if you remember, rabbis taught that you should forgive somebody up to three times. So, in Peter's mind, hey, I'm doubling that and I'm adding one for good measure. How many times? How many times should I forgive? Seven? Like he's going to get a pat on the back from from Jesus? His heart's in the right place, right? I'm, I should be a forgiving person, and I should be generous in my forgiving. But he's putting a limit on it. Limited forgiveness. And Jesus takes the limited away and he says, no, 77, which is a way of saying this big, huge number. Unlimited forgiveness. Well, there was another time Jesus was talking with some people about heaven and Peter wanted to know what kind of special deal he was going to get when it came to the kingdom of heaven. And so... He asks about it. He says, we've given up everything for you, Jesus. We've given up everything to follow you. And Jesus takes it easy on him at this point in time. Because, you know, rocks can't help being a little dense once in a while. And Jesus said that, don't worry, you'll get plenty. It'll turn out okay for you. And so it would for Everyone else as well This wasn't the last time Peter would get it wrong Say the wrong thing ask the wrong Question come to the wrong Conclusion about something We get towards The last week of Jesus life John 13 They're gathered around the table Jesus is sharing that Last supper with them And at one Point during that evening Jesus gets out the wash basin and a towel, and he starts washing the disciples' feet. He's giving them a picture of what it looks like to be a servant leader. Peter resists at first. No, no, you can't do this for us, and Jesus insists. This is what it means to serve other people. I must do this. So then, in that moment, Peter comes up with, well, then wash my head and the rest of me too, you know? And his heart's kind of in the right place. Like, I'm going to go all in for you, Jesus. But in practical application, he's just a little off. You been there? Same meal. Jesus is telling him, I'm about ready to leave you. Of course, Peter wants to know, hey, I'm, I'm going to go with you. Jesus says, where I'm going, you can't go. Peter says, I'm going to go with you. I will follow you anywhere. I will give up my life for you. Jesus says, be careful. Because before the night is over, you will deny me three times. Before the rooster crows exuberant enthusiastic i'm here for you jesus i would die for you you would say his heart's probably in the right place yes but the way the story turns out and jesus knows that when it comes to practical application peter you're going to fail on that one so jesus is arrested They lead him off High priest's house Peter follows along Goes into that courtyard And there's a fire Charcoal fire People are kind of huddled around it The cool air of the night They're trying to warm themselves You know how it is around campfires Campfires are great places, aren't they? the questions start coming. Hey, you're, you're one of his disciples. No, I'm not. Hey, aren't, aren't you from Galilee? Aren't you, one of, aren't you with him? No, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know the man. And then you hear that squawk of that rooster. Peter knows. my, my heart was in the right place, but a man, I failed. And he goes off and we don't see him in the text for a little while right motivations wrong application this is Peter it's really a picture of you and I so now we're in John 21 and after all of this happened mind you Jesus has given them some instructions hey as the father sent me so I am sending you make disciples, baptize, teach, all of those sorts of things. There's an assignment that's on the table that's been given to them. And here we are in Galilee, and Peter says, I'm going fishing. Were they overwhelmed? Were they numb, emotionally overloaded, cautiously optimistic? Maybe, I don't know, a bit confused, probably, they didn't know how to go about this new task, this assignment that Jesus had, had given them, and now he's gone and here and made appearances and just in a daze. I was, I liked Mark Twain, and I came across this quote that I thought was appropriate. Mark Twain says, you can't depend on your eyes when your imagination is out of focus. And if I could, if I could paraphrase Mr. Twain, just a little bit for us. I would say that you can't depend on your eyes when your faith is out of focus. Meaning, when you're overwhelmed, when you're confused, when you're numb, when you're emotionally bankrupt in the moment, you can't depend on what you see because what you are going to focus on is what you think you need in the moment. And so what Jesus has said about you, what assignment Jesus has given you, the things that he has called you to, kind of get blurry, and they're out on the edges because in the moment when, when your faith is out of focus, when you feel like you're shaken and overwhelmed and dazed and confused, your eyes don't tend to look at the right thing. So there they are. Out in the boat What do you do When you don't know What to do Well you go fishing I kind of like that Maybe they're just Trying to clear their heads Maybe they're going back To what they know They've got families To feed This would be The sensible thing to do Is to pick up the career Where you left it off And hey I know I can make money at this I, I know fishing I know the sea I got to put food On the table For my family didn't go so well for them. We're told they caught nothing. In fact, I was looking through the Gospels this week, and this is just a point of trivia for you. At some point, I just thought it was rather interesting, but we know that many of the disciples were fishermen, right? That's a given. But did you realize that In all of the Gospels, and I think that I'm correct in this, in all of the Gospels, the disciples don't catch a single fish without the help of Jesus. Now, obviously, they had made a career of it, and so we assume that they had caught fish, but we don't have any record of them catching anything. They do a lot of fishing, but zero catching. And that's not a good day for a fisherman. It's kind of embarrassing. You get skunked like that and all. So we get to verse 4 now. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus, and he called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. You love it when people state the obvious to you? Jesus knows they don't have any fish. They know they've got nothing for a night's worth of work. The professionals. Maybe they're a little rusty. They hadn't been at it for a little bit of time. Give them a little pass on that. But they know for a fact they don't have any fish in the boat. And now there's some chap on the shore saying, hey, haven't you any fish? Hmm. people state the obvious a lot don't they i put this little thing on facebook earlier this week times people have stated the obvious to you cuz it just struck me as kind of odd that jesus points out that points out the obvious to them here i i i, I saw a sign recently that said caution water on the road during rain <laughs> Man, i needed a sign for that right Another, one, another sign I saw, it says, if the door does not open, do not enter. <laughs> it, the, you'll love this one. <clears throat> I saw a bottle, you, you know, a twist cap bottle. You to take the top off. And on the inside of the cap, the little message says, remove before drinking. Now that's a message that I really needed because I had a problem figuring that out. But, you know, some of you talked about uh, people stating the obvious, like, hey, your phone's ringing. Oh, really? You're bald. Hey, you're tall. You're short. Wow, you have a lot of kids. You know, there's people, that's what we do. When we don't know what to say, sometimes we just state... The obvious. Oftentimes, it's about silly stuff. It Doesn't really matter. I get a little internal chuckle. Um, but sometimes we need people to point out the obvious to us, because there's sometimes that there are things that we absolutely 100% know about ourselves, but we're ignoring. Or we're kicking something down the road. Or I guess this is just how it is. I'm going to have to deal with it. There's nothing more that can be done. I guess this is my lot. And so we resign ourselves to that, and we stop living along the way. Once in a while, we need somebody to, st- to state the obvious. Hey, you can do better than that. Look at this. Sometimes Jesus will state the obvious in your life. Haven't you any fish? No. That's the, only, that's the only thing that's reported for us, but I guarantee that in a boat full of fishermen, that was not the only commentary present on the boat. Oh, this guy is talking about no fish. I know we have no fish. Who does he think he is? I'm sure there, were, there was all sorts of groaning on that boat. But Jesus will call out the obvious to you. He won't let you ignore it. It might be a word about a habit. It might be a word about an attitude. It might be a word about anger. It might be a word about resistance or resentment or failures. Whatever it is, All of the places that we find ourselves struggling and failing at, like those disciples were out on the boat fishing the whole night and they were laboring at their task and getting nowhere, they failed. And Jesus points it out. Hey, haven't you any fish? You know, when we go through life and we struggle and we fail and we just put it on the repeat cycle... Jesus sometimes will come to you and he'll point out the obvious because he needs to get your attention about it. Verse 6, Jesus says, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. So, they're getting fishing advice from a person they don't know as Jesus yet. But they take it, and they're successful at it. See, I think that there's a, a lesson, and this isn't the sermon I'm going to preach. Um, I think there's a lesson in working and struggling in tasks that our eyes tell us are the right way to go, but aren't necessarily the calling and direction and leadership of Jesus. So sometimes we come upon things and we just work and work and work and work and work and we don't feel like we're getting anywhere where there's no satisfaction, there's no joy in it, and, and maybe it's because we're trying to work at something that Jesus hasn't asked us to work at. Verse 7. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. So he got dressed, jumped into the Peter likes jumping out of boats, doesn't he? He just hops in the water. It's the Lord. And the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals or a charcoal fire there with fish on it and some bread. So they arrive. They know it's Jesus now. They get to shore and Jesus has got this nice campfire going right on the beach there. And he's got fish cooking on it. You know, there's no better fish. I mean, the quicker you get the fish out of the water and onto the fire, the better it tastes. And so he's cooking fish, and it says they got bread, right? He's got bread right there, too. But did you notice that Jesus says, hey, bring, bring some of your fish. Bring some of that catch over, which is interesting, because Jesus doesn't need their fish. Sometimes maybe we have the attitude that wow I'm really doing the Lord a favor because he really needs me for this or that. But this is a pretty good humbling reminder that the king of the universe doesn't need a whole lot for us. But the beautiful picture is is that he invites us in to what he's going on. Hey, I've I've got I've got this covered but I want the relationship with you and I want to include you in this and so bring some of what you have into the mix. And then we get to this um, and maybe one of the most beautiful yet intense exchanges in all of the Bible in in verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said, said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? So think about this. Jesus has, he has set the stage for this exchange that he's going to have with with Peter. Now, Peter was exuberant. He hopped out of the boat to swim to, to see Jesus. I think part of him longed to be with Jesus, I think another part of him was dreading the first one on one chat that they would have. Because so far in the resurrection appearances, uh, it's been kind of in a, a group forum. There's safety in numbers. Like Jesus is here, we're all here, and so I can have this communication and conversation, and Jesus probably is not going to call me out personally on my failure. <laughs> But Jesus has this all ready to go. I, I was at Starbucks recently and um, I was talking with uh, Lewis County um, Sheriff Wes Rethwill, and he was uh, getting ready to have what he called a high speed conversation with someone, which meant that it was going to be serious, probably going to be a little bit intense. And uh, I just thought, hey man, I. I've got to write that one down. I'm going to quote you on that sometime. And Jesus is about ready to have a high-speed conversation with Peter. And did you notice how John is really careful to tell us that it was a charcoal fire? I mean, if you, when you think of a charcoal fire, uh, I think that um, this was something that would trigger something in Peter. Remember chapter 18? High priest's courtyard John specifically said there was a charcoal fire, that they were gathered around warming themselves. Now there's a charcoal fire just a few days later. Now they're gathered around this charcoal fire on the beach. Different scenario, but you know, there's something about fire it gets it gets your sense in it gets all your senses cuz you can see it the glow of the coals you hear it there's the crackle and the pop and you smell it you can smell a campfire can't you the smoke you can feel it cuz it gives you that warmth Sometimes when the wind is just right And it blows the smoke in your eyes You can actually taste the fire Peter will not soon forget The charcoal fire experience he had In the high priest's courtyard It's emblazoned on all of his senses And the only way to get beyond the pain And the hurt and the feelings of failure For this one is to address it once again I think Jesus knows that. And he's got this fire that's kindled on the beach, and they're huddled around it. And John doesn't say this, but in my mind's eye, I imagine Jesus saying to Peter, hey, do you want to stroll down the beach for a little bit? Come on. And I think Peter's heart's probably beating a little bit faster. He's like, oh, no. Here it comes. I, I know I deserve probably whatever he's going to tell me. But right now, I don't know if I'm ready to face it. And I love this. Jesus says, Simon, son of John. So he didn't call him Peter, he went to his given name. Kind of like your mom. When you did something wrong, she'd call you out by your full name. David William Bach, get over here. I remember one time Brian did something, we don't even remember what it was, and it happened multiple times actually. But you know that there's an issue when your mom adds a middle name Brian David William Bach. Peter Jesus says to Peter Simon son of John okay he's calling me by my he's calling me by my given name now do you love me? yes Lord you know I love you feed my sheep Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know I love you. Take care of my sheep. Simon, son of John, do you love me? John tells us that Peter was hurt that Jesus would ask him 3 times the same question lord you know you know all things you know that i love you feed my sheep 3 times jesus asks him on the shores of the sea of galilee Jesus didn't waste any time. He went right for the place of pain and brokenness and failure in Peter's life. Jesus didn't hesitate to touch the place of Peter's woundedness. And I got to tell you, friends, Jesus touches your wounds. Not, not to cause you pain, but to heal you. Jesus will touch your wounds, the places of brokenness and failure and confusion, the places where you feel overwhelmed. He'll touch all of those wounds not to inflict More pain, but to set you free from it, to heal those wounds. There's a there's a term, there's a technical term for this in medicine. It's called debriding a wound. See, when when a wound is in the process of healing, it'll often be filled with with old dying dead tissue or infections and bacteria. All, all sorts of things that prevent a wound from healing properly. And all of this unhealthy tissue that's in the way inhibits the growth of healthy tissue. And it, it makes wounds susceptible to more infection. And so the doctor needs to remove this unhealthy tissue He needs to remove the dead tissue by scraping it away in some fashion. And if you've ever picked a scab off a wound, you know that oftentimes it causes bleeding. And the bleeding is actually something that's helpful and healthy in healing a wound. You see, when you do that, when you debride a wound, you're creating space for new and healthy tissue, for healthy cells to thrive and to grow. And Jesus has this conversation with Peter on the beach, and he's doing the exact same thing. He he touches that open wound. John says that it hurt Peter a little bit. He he bled a little bit. But it was for his healing that Jesus touched that wound. Isaiah reminds us, by his wounds we are healed. It's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us. Jesus is a specialist at this in fact, in Matthew, I think it's chapter 9, along about verse 12, Jesus says it's the sick who need a doctor, not the healthy. It's people with wounds, which is pretty much everybody who need me, not the healthy he was traveling with his disciples. They were going through the hated places of Samaria, and they stopped, and they paused, and Jesus is sitting there at a well, and this woman, about noontime, comes and, to draw water. She has a little embarrassment in her life, maybe a little outcast in, in the community, because um, noon wasn't really the time of day that you would go to, to draw your water. Jesus is sitting there by the well, and he asks this woman for something to drink. And they have this exchange. And and during that exchange, Jesus says, well, go get your husband. Oh, he put his hand right on that wound. She said, I don't have a husband. He's like, you're right, you've had five. The guy you're with now isn't your husband. But you know, in that story, there's healing that comes out of Jesus putting his hand on that wound. Oh, remember that time they're strolling along, and the crowds are thick, and the short little guy named Zacchaeus he couldn't see, but he really wanted to see Jesus, and so he went up and, and he, he went to the top of a tree so that he could get a view of Jesus coming by, and Jesus, you know, just knows, and he stops and he looks up at Zacchaeus and he calls him down out of that tree. Jesus knows that. He's been a little deceptive, maybe extorted money out of people, cheated people. There's Places of brokenness in his life, there's wounds that he's carrying, and Jesus isn't afraid to touch those. And that day, salvation came to his household. And now Peter and Jesus are walking along the beach, and Jesus says, Simon, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know you know i love you peter peter needed that moment because i imagine that he felt disconnected and he felt like it was his fault and he's restored but i think even into his future there's something that we humans are famous for and it's called carrying guilt And there's an adversary that's out there that loves nothing more than to remind us of all of the places that we've failed. And Satan will keep just poking at us, reminding us of all of those places that we just blew it. And we just begin to feel like, oh, it's heavier and heavier. That song we sang earlier, I think, These are things that Peter had going through his mind. He recognized that he loved inadequately. When push came to shove, he just fell over. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? Who is this person, Jesus, that he would want anything to do with me now? I was lost, but he brought me in. I was out wandering around, not knowing what was next. I just am going to go back fishing because that's what I know. Jesus sought me out. He was the one on the beach. He's the one who called out to me. He's the one, as we were gathered around that fire, said, Hey, Peter, let's have a little chat about this. Do you love me? The sun sets free. It's free indeed. He paid the ransom. His grace runs deep. We're slaves to sin, but Jesus died for all of that. In my father's house, there's a place for me. I imagine Peter didn't feel like there was a place for him any longer. How can you turn your back on Jesus who died for all of our junk and still imagine that he's going to prepare a place for me? But Jesus reminded him, I set you free from all of that. And in Jesus' words of solace, forgiveness, restoration, whatever label you want to put on that, there were a couple things that Jesus did in that moment. He welcomed Peter into the community of faith. You're you're part of the family, Peter. He spoke words of belonging. It's important to feel like you have a place of belonging. There's a place in my father's house. There's a place in my family for you. In the moments where Peter might have struggled with believing that or not, he needed Jesus to have this conversation. He needed Jesus to touch that wound and do that healing work in his life so that he could feel like he had a place to belong. And did you notice that when when Jesus said, Simon, do you love me? And he says, yes, you know I love you, Lord. Jesus didn't just pat him on the back and say, well, you know, it's all right. Everything will... Everything will be okay. No, Jesus gave him a job to do. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Take care of my flock. And back in John chapter 10, he had taught them that he was the the good shepherd. And now he's sending them out to to do the same things that the Father sent him to do. So not only did he give Peter this place of belonging, there's a place for you in my father's house, in my family. And not only that, there's a purpose for you. There's work that needs to be done, and you need to be going about doing that work. So not only does he forgive him and restore him, but he speaks these uh, words of health, of community, of belonging into Peter's life, so he feels like he's one of the team one of the family and not only that but he sends peter out with an assignment go and do the work that i've been doing all along and jesus offers these things to you and i all of the places where we have blown it loved inadequately failed miserably Jesus touches those wounds and he speaks these words of forgiveness. He speaks these words of healing and restoration. He reminds you that you belong. Even when you fail. Even when you fail. Because grace starts in that moment. And he gives you a job to do. He sends you off with a sense of purpose. That there's value in who you are and what he wants you to go about doing. What wounds do you need Jesus to put his hand on and maybe peel off a layer or two? By his wounds, we are healed. By his shedding of blood, he cleanses us. He forgives us. He begins that healthy restoration of growing new cells. See, grace that he extended to Peter, it leaves, it um, it leads to new beginnings. As long about verse 19, I think it is, as they're closing this exchange, <clears throat> after all of this forgiveness, embrace, Jesus says, "Follow me. I'm still going out ahead of you. Follow me." Remember what the first call of Jesus was in the Gospel of John? Follow me. So grace leads to these new beginnings, a return to the start, if you will. Jesus will come back to you and say, I forgive you. I did that work for you. You don't need to be burdened by this. You can leave this conversation set free. In the process of being healed, Come, follow me. I'm going to have our worship team come back and we're going to sing that song once again. I wonder if you would just stand with me for prayer. Everybody and say I don't want to generalize everybody but I think he wouldn't be wrong if I said everybody has places that we would put in the category of wound some hurt some brokenness some failure some inadequacy something that you've just been carrying for a long time and maybe you've been carrying it so long that you just feel like it's part of life and I'm just resigned to carrying it and then Jesus shows up on the shore and you're in the boat of life trying to fish and go after it and he says haven't you any fish he points out the obvious And then he wants to have a conversation about it. Maybe you need to have Jesus touch a wound and do some of that healing work in your life. Maybe that's this morning. So I'm going to pray, and if you just feel like you need to take something to Jesus or let him touch a wound and begin the healing process feel free to come to the front these altars are a wonderful place just to pause be quiet before the Lord talk to him listen to him wounds are touched in these places so if that's you I just invite you to slip out from where you are and make your way forward Kneel down before the Lord. Let's pray. And you can come. Lord, I know. I just sense it in my heart that there's wounds here that need to be dealt with. Places where we feel Inadequate. places where we feel broken places that we know that we have failed relationships that we know are fractured things that we have said in anger attitudes that we have been carrying, resentment all of those things that just kind of build up layer after layer after layer in our lives and when, we, and when we push them away when we ignore them and just refuse to deal with them and they just kind of scab over and fester God like, oh, we need your healing touch we know that when you touch our wounds it it hurts a little bit but you're not doing it to cause us pain, you're doing it to heal us so Lord I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning would you do that healing cleansing work in their lives we thank you that your blood covers over everything, that it was by your wounds that our healing can happen. We Thank you for the forgiveness that is available. Lord, in the places that are broken, would you begin to restore? If we have been resistant, Lord, would you help us to bring down those walls and enter into your presence? If it's somebody we need to forgive. If it's a relationship that needs to be mended. If it's an apology that we need to make. If it's just guilt from past things, God, would you take that away from us and remind us that who you set free is free indeed. We no longer have to live as a prisoner to our past, but we can live for the glory of your future. Lord, remind us of all of these things as we sing. We love you, and I'm so grateful that you seek us out to do this healing work. In Jesus' name we pray.